You're in for a treat, homies. Guy Adami here. Not Dan Nathan, you can tell. That's the great Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. Dan is traveling today. A well-deserved day off from market participation. But Carter and I will guide you through this market call. Of course, this market call brought to you by FactSet Financial Data and Analytics. Carter, that are powered by tomorrow. You look great as always. How are you? I'm good. Although travel, you know, travel is good. Sitting is the new smoking. So it's good to get to get out of your seat. Can I tell you something? I like that. You should, that should be the other graphic on, on worth charting. Sitting is the new smoking. So get your ass out of the chair and check out some charts. That's just me sort of riffing, but it's neither here nor there. I thought yesterday was an interesting day. I think today is starting, you know, it's setting up to be an interesting day. We're going to look at a bunch of charts that illustrate some of the things we've been talking about in terms of potential islands and stuff. But we want to start right off the bat with some tweets that caught our eye because that's what we do here on the market call. So as I used to say on Match Game 71 through 77, slide it, Earl, and we'll talk about uh, some of the things that we've been looking at. Rosie, for example, David Rosenberg, the yield curve leads the economic cycle with a classic lag of just over a year. Keep that in mind. It inverted last summer. We talked about it, which means second quarter, third quarter, have a bullseye on their forehead. We are fast approaching that. Our models pay GDP contraction next quarter, and all these calls of no landing will be relegated to the dustbin. First of all, Carter, I don't know what no landing means. I guess that means we just stay in the air for an extended period of time. I understand what a soft landing is, uh, having flown many times over the years. I've also been on a plane where you have hard landings. The thought, though, that this plane will just continue to circumnavigate the globe without any problems is as ludicrous, in my opinion, as is a soft landing. And Rosie's tweet speaks to that. You know, people keep telling me that this inversion, it's different this time. And I'm going to ask you to put your econ hat on real quick. I say, yeah, you know what? It is different this time. It's actually worse. And we've been talking for a number of months that twos, tens could invert to the tune of 1%. I think at its trough today, it was like 86 basis points or so. So we are fast approaching. You know, what are your thoughts about this? You know, this whole different this time, no landing, soft landing, hard landing. And what do you think it means through the lens that you look through things at? Right. So, I mean, what we know, of course, is there's there's soft landings, which is what you're supposed to do if you're hard landing. Now, there's hard landings, as you before, where they slam it. But then there's crashes, right? Those aren't good in airplanes because basically you die. Um, what, what, what we do know is now this new, uh, and that's the nature of the street, pulling up uh, catchphrases and idioms and so forth, this no landing thing has come in. And Goldilocks was one of them, and Fang was one. These things always uh, come and go. Um, but you know, no landing is a bit. How, how would I say it? It comes to me as uh, as a bit arrogant. Yes, a bit um, naive. Lazy. It's both of those things. Yeah, you could be naive and arrogant. Those are contradictory. But it is a bit of that. It's uh, it's a little bit cocksure, complacent. It's all of those things. Uh, yield curve, as it relates to both the yield curve itself or or Rosie's interpretation of it. Uh, we do know that um, history is on the side of those who argue for contraction. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm just scrolling through. The, you have some. We already have some great questions. We're going to talk about Taiwan Semi in a minute. That's from Raj, by the way. Warren Buffett unloaded. I don't know if it was his entire position or not, but that obviously caught headlines. And we'll talk about Taiwan Semi and the SMH. But let's look at Lisa Abramowitz because we often cite her as well. And I think she's talking about the same types of things that we've been talking about. If an inverted yield curve still functions 
which by the way, I do as believe as a telltale sign of recession to come, then the idea of a soft landing or no landing is getting more and more fraught. It's a great word. The inversion in the benchmark 210 yields has plumbed to new depths following today's CPI print. Yeah, I mean, that was yesterday, obviously, but that was last night she put it out. And again, twos, tens, as I mentioned, you know, I guess it got to 87 basis points at its low. I thought it was 86. Doesn't matter. I still think it's headed to 1%. And again, I understand, Carter, and you speak to this a lot. Um, and maybe you could sort of amplify what I'm about to say. There's a want in our, look, there's a want as human beings uh, to be optimistic. There's a want in our industry, obviously, to be optimistic. And the way the markets have set themselves up, uh, to a certain extent, going higher from many of these asset classes also is sort of a, it, it's a self-perpetuating, almost um, autopilot type of phenomenon. But there are times when that doesn't work. And what I've tried to do in my career, and I think you look at these things agnostically, as do I, but you know when those times happen, History suggests that those are some of the um, opportunities that are, those are some of the times that are ripe with opportunity. And again, despite the fact that the market has had a significant rally since mid-December, that notwithstanding, I still think we're sort of in the throes, in the midst, in the early innings of exactly that. Yeah. I mean, here's a curious thing that we were just spending some time overnight that speaks to all of us. You know, the Russell 3000. So what's so important about that is, is it's the S&P 500 plus 2,500 more stocks. It represents 98% of the investable U.S. equity market. And the Russell 3000 right now is the exact same level it was in the second and third week of February, two years ago. So you have basically equities as an asset class, as measured by the broadest aggregate that we have, unch, unchanged two years, right? We've had in the past two years, a max gain of about 17%, a max loss of about that as well. And here we are unch, which is to say, adjusted for inflation, of course, equities as an asset class are meaningfully negative. And I just don't know if there's a lot of opportunity or said differently, there's going to be opportunity to pick stocks, right. both opportunity to mess it up and, and lose, but opportunity to win. Whereas the aggregates themselves just aren't inherently at um, inflection points. It's interesting. I think you make a great point. It, you know, the Russell I've said for a long time, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, but given the scope of the Russell, the probably some of the most economically sensitive US centric names out there. And the fact, again, to your point that, yeah, they've rallied, they've sold off, but you know, two years after the fact, we're exactly where we started. Maybe that speaks to the environment that we find ourselves in. I guess the question, and this is somewhat rhetorical, and I guess the folks at home need to answer this on their own, but is this sort of a sideways action for the next leg higher? Or is this sort of a sideways action um, on the verge of sort of one of these precipitous drops? We'll see. We looked at the two tens. Pull up that chart just to illustrate um, the scope of, with which, because this is an interesting one, just to see how, where we are and where we've been in twos, tens, and not, not the least one, the next one, if you can just slide it, Earl, and you'll take a look. I mean, we haven't seen these levels and I brought it up for a while. I mean, this goes back 20 years, but you'd have to go back over 40 years to see an inverted yield curve of this magnitude. And again, I'm not an economist, Carter. I say it all the time. I'm not smart enough, nor humorless, humorless enough to be one. Um, but it does not portend, I think, strong things in an economy. And the end of the day, uh, what drives stocks are earnings, earnings growth, revenue, and revenue growth. And obviously, those are driven by the economy that these stocks um, do their businesses in. 
And this is just not that robust right now. So I look at this and say, I wonder what it means if you overlay an S&P 500 chart. Well, lo and behold, CBW, here you go. Because this is twos, tens inverted. And this is what the S&P typically does. Now, what I'll tell you is, and you can look at this. This is just me reading the tea leaves. S&P in blue typically lags a bit. Okay, typically lags a bit. And you can see that. My question to you, given the magnitude of the inversion, given the fact that the S&P has now lagged for over a year-ish, are we on the precipice of this sort of catching up? In other words, does the S&P represented in blue need to catch up to where the inversion is? I mean, that's sort of the what, let's say, one's eye wants to see. Yes, mm -hmm. I see that. I'm like, all right, isn't that the way this? And uh, certainly it doesn't have to be, but... I would say the odds are high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you look at this and understanding that, look, yeah, twos, tens can come back to a reasonable level. I guess. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this will continue. I think to a certain extent, this is just my opinion before we go to the S&P chart. Um, I think what the market is waiting for is the Fed to bail them out. And I think the market hopes the Fed will bail them out and the inversion that we're feeling will rectify itself, although I don't know how that's going to happen. And then being long stocks or being long the S&P is the right thing. So they're front running. This to me, Carter, and, and you can comment or we can move on. This to me suggests the market is front running what they think is going to happen in the back half of the year. So they're playing a game of chicken saying, we're going to own stocks, understanding that you don't have the nuts, pardon my French, to stay the course with this thing given this magnitude of the inversion, what potentially could happen to the economy. The Fed has been saying something else. And I think there will become a point where, and this is not meant to be glib, this inversion doesn't matter until it does. Like things happen slowly then all at once. Is there a chance sort of of that happening? A hundred percent. And, you know, this whole notion of, and that's one of the idioms, you know, don't fight the Fed or nobody's uh, bigger than the market or, but the market is wise, right? It's the ultimate weighing, uh, weighing machine, um, the most inputs possible. And then uh, we take our message from the market. The government knows this, right? The government uses stock prices as one of the components of its leading indicator index. And so for now, the stock market is saying something very different, of course, than the bond market. And we are all watching and wondering when the hell are they going to reconcile one another or do they have to? Um, but either way, I think we can say this. It's been a, an important bounce off the October 13th low, but it's also been a lot. It, it's mature. It's mm -hmm. mature in terms of magnitude and duration. October 15th, we're now February 15th. And yeah. the, the, the odds of a lot more up seem low, some sort of give back or meaningful give back to me seem high. And this is a fair comment. So Tony Henry is saying this, and I mean this sincerely, it is a fair comment. He says, I don't know, fellas, your reasoning has been very, all caps, well-founded, but the predicted result hasn't materialized. And again, I think that comment speaks to exactly what you were just talking about. You know, the fact that we're four months into this thing and one is hard pressed to understand, at least I am. And listen, it's, it's not dogma here. You know, I try to look for the bull case. And if, if the only... If the pillars of the bull case is the market trades really well and at some point the Fed is going to pivot, I just think those are poor pillars to base a bull thesis on, especially given the fact, as you just said, 
that we're effectively four months in or three and a half months in to a pretty reasonable bounce on really on the back of um, nothing fundamentally strong or no real inputs to suggest that we'd be here. That's just me. Let's take a look at the S&P 500 real quick, because as you like to do, uh, we look at moving averages. We look at where we are vis-a-vis the moving average. We look at this chart all the time. I don't necessarily know if this tells us a whole lot. Um, the last couple days, we've seen signs that maybe things are cracking just a bit. But speak to me on this one, Dubs. So a moving average is a trend line. It's an automated trend line. We can mm-hmm. draw the line. That's what drawing a trend line is. Or we can try to automate that process because how many lines can you draw? all stocks in the Russell 3000 by using a moving average. And the moving average has transitioned from declining to rising. This is elemental. As long as one's eyes are working, we can see that on the screen. The question, though, is this, that when you overshoot a moving average, do you check back to it typically? And, and the answer is yes, right? So we have now an overshoot. And the overshoot in August, we know how that ended. The overshoot in December, we know how that ended. And now we have another overshoot. The circumstance is different now in the sense that the moving average is rising as opposed to the other overshoots where it was still declining. But even when it's rising, you typically get a check back to it. And that's what I think is likely looking out over the next sort of eight to 10 weeks, eight to 12 weeks. Makes sense to me. And I'm going to pull up a comment from, uh, let's just see, bear with me for a second because I just had it, then it went away. But Oh, the bull case. Here's from Island Giza. I believe I pronounced that right. Here's the bull case. No recession, no job losses. Inflation is transitory. Well, I'd have to push back a little bit on that one because, you know, we're a couple years into this transitory nonsense. And that CPI print yesterday, I think, speaks anything but. So no need to raise rates much from here. I agree with the no need to raise rates much from here part. But what you didn't um, put is the fact that rates are going to stay elevated for longer. I mean, that's part of the equation that I think people are either missing or just choosing not to acknowledge. I I don't think, you know, I think there's this belief, Carter, again, you know, I know you wore this hat for a while. There's this belief that once the Fed is done raising rates, then at the next meeting or two meetings later, they're going to start lowering rates because that's how it works. It doesn't work that way. And I think they, the Federal Reserve, has been pretty clear that you know, they might be getting uh, towards the end of the rate hiking cycle. But if you think that cuts are coming, think again. And they've actually used the term higher for longer. And again, part of my thesis as to why stocks are expensive here is because we're feeling we're going to start to feel sort of this lag effect of what rising interest rates has on not only the economy, again, but the companies that do business within that economy. So I don't know if you want to sort of speak to that. We'll take well, a look at the Nasdaq chart, but I know you have some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, let's just let's just use the, the bull case. There, the, this part, independent of the why, right? Um, because of job, no job losses, or because of tightening or continuing to trade. The only way an individual security, a stock, or an aggregate of stocks, an index can go higher. There's only two ways, right? This is known to all. You either have to get earnings growth, or you get multiple expansion. Or you get some combination of the two, right? That's it. That's the only, right? So stock can go up even though the earnings aren't going up, which means obviously it's getting a higher multiple assigned to it. Or the stock's earnings keep going up and the multiple stays the same and it is going up by a function of the denominator moving up. And so as we look out over equities and asset class, what is the thesis 
for robust earnings growth from here, looking out over nine to 12 months. You're not hearing it from the companies, you're not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you can want to think it's going to happen, but we're not hearing it from the operating businesses that make up the S&P 500. Yep. Now, what is the case for expanding the multiple? Remember the multiple was 17 three months ago. We're now 19 and a half. It's already been expanded. And so to expand the multiple from here, they have to start cutting rates. It's and if they start right? cutting rates, they're doing that because something's wrong. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That's right. I'm, I'm with you completely in that, the way you summarize that. And it's interesting again. So this is LMX. Um, Airbnb numbers screaming recession. I understand there's some sarcasm in that. The Airbnb numbers were very good. I will tell you, and I've said this a thousand times, if you watch Fast Money, you'll never hear me talk about if we're in a recession, if we're going into a recession, because quite frankly, for what we do, I think, I find it somewhat meaningless, whether we're in one, going in one, coming out of one, it doesn't really matter that much to me. I say it all the time, I'm not an economist. And yeah, all these numbers are good. For a lot of companies, Carter, you know, we're back to pre-COVID levels in terms of some of the robust demand they're seeing and in terms of uh, some of the revenues these companies are seeing. So I'm not here on my soapbox saying that we're in a recession or going in a recession. That's not my thesis for why stocks go lower. My thesis is this Federal Reserve is trying to knock down that demand. They're trying to knock down asset prices, and they've been very clear about that. And to some extent, they've been successful. But to a certain extent, they haven't been successful at all. I mean, what's interesting is financial conditions now are looser than they were before the Fed started doing this. So on one hand, yeah, maybe they've been successful. On the other hand, they really haven't gotten anything done. So when I say that the market is expensive, as you just now, it's through the lens of, you know what, things are still too good, that nothing is broke yet. And I think my point all along has been, and this is why I don't think a soft landing can happen, on the way to normalize rates, reduce balance sheet, almost by definition, something has to break. Sorry, I don't mean to get on my soapbox. Let's take a look at the NASDAQ chart. It's going to look similar. Um, again, you know, you've talked about it. The, the moving average becomes its own trend line. This is what I will say, you know, my eyes looking at it. You go back to the beginning of this, the spring of 22, we topped out at the moving average. We sold off. We got to about two or so standard deviations away. It made sense in June for the market to rally. As a matter of fact, on this show, in the middle of June, we talked about the potential for a 17 to 18% rally. We got it in August. Overshot a little bit. Uh, the VIX traded back down. We said this is the level probably right time to sell stocks again. Middle of October, we said again, a couple standard deviations away. The VIX traded up to 34 and a half. We talked about a trading opportunity to the upside. Same thing happened in December. We failed at the 200-day moving average in December. Sold off. This is the part that's confused me. The bounce back up to the moving average as fast as we, as fast as we have, but now the subsequent extension through. We are, if I'm being honest, uh, we have flattened out and now it looks like we're sloping higher. Sort of read the tea leaves for me on this one. Well, that's right. It's the same circumstance as the S&P because remember there's a lot of autocorrelation here. The NASDAQ 100 makes up, you know, ultimately probably almost 30% of the S&P in terms of the weight. So we have a transition from declining to now, albeit barely, rising, but we have an overshoot and typically you will check back to it. NASDAQ 100, the QQQ, for instance, two years ago, it's actually down from where it was, almost 10%. Uh, 
we know that you've had a great run-up, but just that, it's a run-up to an inherently difficult level. Um, do you put new money to work here? I would say no. I'd rather fade this than put new money to work. Gary is saying, <laughs> I think he's looking at this chart. He's saying a classic double bottom. I see what he's looking at. If you could put the chart up real quick once again. Here's my, here's my two cents. All right. Yeah, all right. I mean, here's my Gary. two cents on this. So right. How important is duration in this? Because the first low is in October. The second low is basically late December, early January. I've always been of the belief that, you know, the, the farther apart, the longer the duration of the bottoms, the more powerful that double bottom is. Is there any truth to that? Do you look at it the same way? Um, yeah. So it's just it's any formation, whether it's a uh, head and shoulders, bottom or top, a, a, a big a cup and handle, the more authority the level has, the more authoritative the resolution, right? So if you have a triple bottom, it's triple, right? It's not double, but anyway, <laughs> you can see it there. If you have a triple bottom and it takes place over three years, that's a big thing, right? So this is over an intermediate period of time, right? A couple of months, but either way, it is a formation and it has happened and it has given rise to a turn uh, in the queues. It all, gets, it all gets down to though, do you buy this thing here or do you sell it? And that's the case any day at 9.30 when the bell goes off at Eastern Standard Time in New York City. And I think you fade this year, you don't buy it. I tend, listen, you know I agree. Let's take a look at Barrick Gold. We obviously, you know, I bring this chart up because the gold price has sold off recently. I think everybody knows where I am in terms of being a gold bull. Um, it looks like we're moving back down to the moving average. We don't have to spend a lot of time here. What I will say is, the sell-off in the underlying commodity makes sense, again, vis-a-vis -vis some of the hot prints we've seen, brings the Fed back in play. The dollar has bounced, so gold makes sense to me. Here's my two cents, Carter, before we go to your charts. You're starting to see M&A in the space. Obviously, you saw it with Newmont a couple of weeks ago. Central banks are buying gold in record amounts we haven't seen in many decades. Uh, it has not manifested itself in the price. Personally, given what I think is happening out there, I think it's a matter of time. But we just wanted to bring this chart up to sort of illustrate the fact that, you know, Barrick had a nice little move to the upside. It's doing that check back, that classic check back to a moving average. It's flattening out and sloping higher. If you're, tra if you're trading these stocks, you know, I think you could probably start getting long these names against that 200-day moving average, thinking it's going to hold and bounce. Quick thoughts before we look at your charts, Carter. Yeah, check back underway. And it's a good technique in principle to buy a security, an instrument, an aggregate, an index, anything that is overshot and checked back to a line that's mathematically at least flat, if not better, rising. So a little bit more to go. And then in you go. Buy for yep. the bounce. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Facebook reported. Um, I missed the boat on that one, clearly. Uh, you, by the way, had a great call on Facebook. I will say this, you know, I thought in the earnings, given the run that it had from 80 into the mid 140s, the right thing to do is take money off the table. Obviously, that was wrong. But let's look at your chart, because one of the things I said on the show that night is, OK, yes, I was wrong. But, you know, Facebook's probably going to now trade sideways 183 to 185 for a while. But you have a potential. And again, I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but you have a potential for an island reversal. And we haven't seen it yet, but you clearly have the island. Now all you need for that to manifest itself is probably for an open below 172 or something. So speak to me about this, because I think we have a number of charts that you brought with us that look eerily similar. Right. So what I thought we could do is look at some of uh, the stocks today over the last several days 
whose bottoming out uh, patterns process look as though they have room to run, but put it in the context of stocks that went a little too far too fast in the in the almost ricochet uh, V type, and then try to juxtapose the two. So we have meta. That's not a bearish to bullish reversal. That's just an explosion, right? A, a more a double uh, off of a low with a gap. Gaps are news, and now it's uh, dripping, lilting, dipping, declining. You can choose your word. The question is, and people call these flags, right? The pole is the is the heavy volume thrust. The flag is flapping in the wind on the light volume. But the point I'm trying to make here is that when you get overdone like that, you have give back risk. Now, the ultimate risk is that it fills the gap. That's a long way down from here. But when you have something that comes to life and it's too much, right, impetuous, impulsive, um, news-related, you're typically right to fade it rather than chase it. So there are a lot of people, in fact, a lot of people in Wall Street upgraded Meta the day after the gap. What? It means they upgraded 200, now it's 175. That's not good technique. Let's roll through a couple uh, that make this point. Look at, look at, actually, let's toggle. Let's do a line and one's a medical and one's uh, social media. It's the mm -hmm. same damn thing. And what do we have? It's starting to give back, right? Look at the next one. Um, same thing here. So if you're if you're coming to life, you want that. But if it's too big a move, you discount a whole lot, if not all of what's coming in the three to six months. You can't discount two years or 10 years. But when you gap up to that extent, you've discounted at least six to nine months and hence the backing in Philly. Um, and so uh, we have today Airbnb. Let's look at the next one. I, you know, I had this on the faded into earnings. It's been the exact opposite, mm -hmm. exactly wrong. But we have the same circumstance now that it's just too hot. So do you chase Airbnb here? Or does Airbnb, in fact, do what Meta just did and Align just did and the other three? That would be my thinking. So one, if one is so fortunate to be long Meta before today, I would take the money and run. Or trying to have your cake and eat it too, I would sell calls against the whole thing. Or even more aggressive, sell calls, take in premium and buy puts to put on a collar. But just to stay blindly long after re-rating like this, uh, I don't think is good technique. Yeah, and it's interesting because yesterday on the show that uh, Dan and I did, I said, and put that Airbnb chart up real quick just so we can get a visual. You know, my thesis was, look, stock has had a bounce. It's had trouble at this 125 level a couple of times. The right thing to do, the disciplined thing to do would be to get out of the position into the earnings release last night. That was proven to be incorrect. Okay, gotcha. But now let's move on because now we have to make determinations based on what we're seeing. So what do the facts look like now? So when I say Carter Price is truth, it's not, I'm not trying to be glib. Uh, but what I'm saying is many times the decisions we make are based on where things are trading. I mean, your work suggests exactly that. You know, things get to certain levels. What you base your decisions on are the price that those assets, securities, commodities, stocks are trading at. So now we have a different set of truths in the form of this price. And I think you're right. And you just looked at Facebook. We looked at a couple different stocks that line up the same way. So I'm with you and, on this one. Yeah. And you're also just, just while we're on it, you're back to a level of overhead supply. What does that mean? Do you see all of those intermediate lows of the prior year, all centering on 140 from which Airbnb collapsed back in May? So now we've returned to a level where we know this. Purchases were made mathematically between 140 and 180 for the better part of 
eight, 10 months. That's what overhead supply is. You encounter interested sellers, people who have recouped all of massive losses. So you get overhead supply, memory from those who bought poorly, not their, their fault. We all do it sometimes and get it wrong. So, and then there's a second kind of memory. Not only is there, are there shares above who just now have recouped all their losses who become interested sellers, there's memory below. Whoever nailed this, the most hapless individual trader day one in the market or George Soros himself, when you buy something at 80 and they flip the cards over and show you 140, what do you think their memory is? It's like, I got to grab this. So you have a wall of shares coming into the market here. Do you buy more of this? Absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. Let's take a look at Palantir. You brought that as well. A stock that was mired in no man's land. Um, I don't know if this is your classic bullish, excuse me, bearish to bullish reversal, but I think you want to speak to this because maybe things are starting to get interesting for the first time in a couple of years for Palantir. Yes. Yeah, so this is, this is more, I think of the other ones, they're impetuous, they're impulsive, they're impressive, but they're V's, they're ricochets. This is the word developmental. It's more time and price, incremental. It's like health. If you're really, really sick, anything like this is sick. They drop from 35 to five. And then you you cure. You go in rehab. You go you go take some more meds. You you walk around the, the floor in the, in the ward a few times. Wow, he's getting better. It's time and price. So this, as opposed to the others, I would press this if I were long. This is coming to life. And I would, and the next batch we have here is in that second category. Ones that whose life is not so extreme as to suggest it's overdone. Let's take a look at them, because personally, I agree with you on Palantir and the fact that uh, Carp mentioned it seemed like he put a huge for sale sign on the front of the Palantir door on the shingle for sale. So there's might be some M&A upside as well on Palantir. Let's take a look at Cloudfare, because, again, the next well, these charts are all going to look similar, similar mm -hmm. setups. But, you know, this is far more constructive to your point than those stocks that just sort of gapped higher. Uh, and now we're sort of trading in no man's land. Right. This put in a low as far back as you can see there in June. And then it tested that low in October and held. And it tested again in, in December, early January. That's a lot of time basing and bottoming and curing. And now coming to life on heavy volume. Uh, that's what a bearish to bullish reversal buy in a prototypical sense looks like. A couple more just yep, to take a look more. at. Then we're going to look at Taiwan Semi. Snow, same thing. You see it makes the low back in June. And then it makes a low, but it's a higher low in October. And it tests that low again. Time and price, curing, working through a problem, developmental, deliberate, measured. You can use your own words. As opposed to impulsive, rash, hysterical. I love this comment. Guy had a Ronnie Duguay haircut in the 1980s. That's patently false. Uh, although I did meet Carol Alt back in the day, <laughs> Island Giza. My hair was always rather short, but I like where you're going with that. Um, let's take a look at Confluent because there are there are you know there's the events are confluent in terms of our association with one another, a confluence of events, as it were. But this to me looks the best out of all of them. And, and maybe I'm wrong, but I look at this and say, you know what, this one could get really interesting really quickly. Again, it's the same circumstance and, and that's why there are preferences in markets. Some people, certain uh, circumstances, fundamentally, technically, quantitative appeal to them versus others. But the circumstance as it relates to the price action is very consistent with the others. It's been fighting to not die, right? I mean, after all, when you drop from 95 
uh, to 15, you have to wonder about, is this Enron, WorldCom? Is it Eastman Kodak? Is it Polaroid? Is it going out of business? And yet it keeps not getting worse over a lot of months. And now ever so slightly, not only not getting worse, getting better. That's what healing, curing, developing um, looks like. I'm a buyer. And to your point about overhead supply, I mean, just under the thesis that you brought forth, the overhead supply in this one probably is north of 40 bucks. That's when, you know, the people that bought this stock in earnest a year or so ago, that's probably, you know, that's where that overhead supply is. So there's some runway for this stock to do damage on the upside, you know, in terms of percentage points before you really hit meaningful resistance. So I'm with you on that one. We we had a couple of questions about Taiwan Semi, so let's pull up that chart. Here's my point about Taiwan Semi, um, and I made this when they reported. Taiwan Semi's report, now it's got to be a couple months or so ago, I think it was in November, it was shitty. That's the word I would use. It's not a financial term, it's my term. But what they said was, first two quarters are going to suck, and then in the back half of the year, you know, this is where we're going to start picking things up. So my comment on the show that, that night, Carter, was good for them. But I don't know how in the world, given the environment that we find ourselves in, that they can have clarity for a quarter, let alone the back half of 2023. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no way. And I, what I said that night was they're buying themselves, you know, a few months. And I think I still think that's what's happening. Now, we saw that Buffett basically got out of his Taiwan semi. Um, that's not helping the shares. You have this trend line that you drew, or maybe we drew it. I don't know if it's going to, you know, that third point of 90 comes into play. But but I'll say this. Um, the headwinds at Taiwan semi-faces, again, these semis have been off to the races. But obviously, China-Taiwan is still out there. This Buffett sale is clearly become top of mind. What are your thoughts quickly on this one before we 5,000? It's the same circumstance as opposed to something that's deliberate and measured and orderly and developmental, it's a V. It's a huge shoot over trend, over the moving average. And now the check back is underway. Does the check back have further to go? I think so. So I'm not a buyer here. Uniman CBW, no emojis with hearts, just charts. That's mine. That's not his. He is the great Carter Braxton Worth. You can see him with us Mondays and Wednesdays. You can see him on Fast Money. You always see him on Options Action. His work has no peril, no peer. He stands alone. He is on top of Mount Everest with Tenzig Norgay. Google that shit, peeps. But that's it for Market Call. I will be back tomorrow with Dan Nathan and EY from SoFi. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics by Powered by Tomorrow. I want to thank our audience. And I want to thank Dan, who out there probably is watching this in a car somewhere. So we'll see you guys tomorrow.